Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby, and the basketball coach of the team. Coach Painter joins us his second appearance here on the podcast. Episode 19 here for the Purdue Basketball Podcast, postseason edition. We're going to wrap up kind of the year that was 2016-17. The Boilermakers finish uh, with a 27-8 record. Big Ten champs, regular season champs by two games. Everybody likes to always add that by two games in there. I don't know if that makes it better or not. Uh, Sweet 16 appearance. Um, let's just get, before we get into it, uh, Coach, just your overall thoughts of the season kind of as a whole. Well, I thought, obviously, we had um, a good season. You know, anytime you can win your league, I think that's, I think the more we're in the landscape of today's college basketball, it gets away from it um, from a media standpoint and a coverage standpoint of like how hard it is to win a conference championship. And then when it does happen, every coach in America you know, always reference that statement saying, you know, man, it, it, it is hard. People don't look at it that way. It's almost like the tournament doesn't matter in terms of like seating and stuff. And you, and you hear coaches talking about that constantly. Does this matter? Does it not matter? But from a media standpoint, winning that tournament, you know, you get a lot of play going into March Madness, going into the selection Sunday. But um, just a, a great honor for our guys, especially how, um, you know, we were able to win it. You know, we, we lost a, a home game early. Um, that we felt that, you know, we, we should have won. Um, but we also won a lot of close games at Ohio State, at Maryland, to where we, you know, make some free throws, make uh, make some free throws on, on both of those games. And uh, But we had some losses. You know, we were up nine at Iowa. We lose that game. Um, we make 14 threes at Nebraska. Um, you know, and we lose that game. And we, we had a chance to, down the stretch to, to make some plays, and we didn't. Um, I thought Michigan just clearly – um, outplayed us at their place. That's the one game that you know you don't you don't look back and say, hey, what if this happened or if that happened? You know they they were they were on top of their game and we weren't and we had too many breakdowns defensively. But it was their day, and uh, they played well. And so, but I thought we had a great season. Obviously, the non-conference the the big win for us was our comeback win um, against Notre Dame. Um, we had a chance to really move up our seed. Uh, with a win at Louisville or the home game against Villanova, and we did not do that. Those are um, opportunities, you know, you can't let slip out of your, you know, your your fingers, and you got to be able to get those if you really want to jump up and have a maybe a two seed or a three seed and have you know big time quality wins. But um, you know, I think we learned a lot from those games and got better as the season went on. And obviously, we had a had the game in our hands, uh, our first game of the big, our only game of the Big Ten tournament, and uh, had some plays down the stretch. Um, we gamble on a play, we miss a layup, we miss a free throw, and those are the type of plays that we made in the last two minutes of a game. Um, so we get into overtime in that game, and then we have a tough call go against us as we're trying to defend and keep it at one possession to have a crack at it, and that kind of sealed the victory for them in overtime. And um, But they were a tough matchup for us. There's, there's no two ways around that, and they are very, very skilled, and they spread it out, and they're well coached, and they played well at the end of the year. But obviously the Sweet 16 run and uh, beating a really good Vermont team and, you know, really hanging in there. P.J. Thompson makes a big basket at the end of the game. I mean, excuse me, at the end of the half um, to give us a little bit of momentum. But our guys hung in there and played and um, really made some, some some key stops at the end. Swanigan had a couple blocks there at the end and some key plays and um, were able to make our free throws. And um, we shot the ball pretty well in that game. Then I thought Iowa State, we were really good up until – you know, we, we got a pretty comfortable lead. And then, you know, when they took off and they went small on us, you know, we had some struggles, not just on the defensive end, but also offensively. 
um, in that stretch. We kept getting the ball at the rim and having nothing to show for it. But our guys hung in there. The plays they made at the end of the game, especially after Iowa State took the lead, um, were huge. You know, Biggie's rebound at the end. Vince Edwards had a rebound and an and one. P.J. had a big three. Um, but our guys really did a, a good job of getting the necessary stops, getting some loose balls. We got the one loose ball, then I think we got a timeout out of it that was, was huge at the end of that game. So um, so I was proud of our guys, obviously, getting to the Sweet 16 and put ourselves in a good position playing a great Kansas team. And I thought where it got away from us was how we handled the last minute, minute and a half of the first half. I thought the game should have been tied, and I think we're down seven going into there. We, we just had a bad offense, defense, offense sequence um, to finish the half. And then we, you know, we play well in the first four or five minutes and we have it at a possession game. And then obviously the wheels, you know, fell off for us at that, you know, in terms of getting stops and being able to make plays on the offensive end and the rest is history. But just proud of our guys for, you know, obviously having to be in the outright Big Ten champs and obviously getting to the Sweet 16. I wanted to ask both of your opinions on this. Um, you mentioned it when you talked about the regular season championship. Obviously a big deal around here. I think it's always been a big deal in the Big Ten because our conference tournament is relatively young compared to some other leagues. Um, so it's a big deal to, for anybody to win your league, especially, you know, like I referenced earlier, like by two games. But there's also the flip side. It's like there's two seasons in college basketball. There's your regular season, which takes up how many months, and then the tournament, which is at best four weeks if you get to the Final Four. And so much is made on your success in the tournament. I don't know if that's you know fair or not. That's the way it is. But it's almost like you play two seasons. There's the regular season and then there's March. And you look at both, I think people on the outside would say that Purdue had a great year. But a lot of people would also say Michigan had a great year. But when you look at what happened over those few months, and not to take away from Michigan, they did have a good year, but they won the Big Ten tournament and made it to the Sweet 16 but you look at November and December for them, January for the most part, it was pretty ho-hum. But yet at the end, when it's when the whole body of work is put together, there's some people that would make arguments for both having great seasons. And I just think it's interesting sometimes. It, do you guys think feel like March is overvalued, undervalued, or that's just the way it is? Oh, I think I could say what Matt probably will say. It's uh, probably not overvalued. It is what it is. I mean, this is what it has come to. Because I think I could say, other than the ACC, which started this whole thing about having a postseason tournament, you know, this, you know, I, I think I could ask the question, why do we do this? And we do it because financially it is sound for the programs to do it. And uh, there's a market for it. And so that's why we start all over again. And Michigan was a great story, so that makes for fun time there as far as the media is concerned. But, you know, like us, we made a quick trip out there, came back, but we already, you know, had gone through the body of work and and had cemented, you know, obviously we were rewarded with our seed because we won the Big Ten Championship. So I don't... I, and, I, of course, I'm putting this in Matt's words because he's going to tell you the truth here. He's going to say, Larry, you're wrong again. But I, I just think that we don't have, we don't have a choice. And so, no, I'm talking so about more, though. I'm talking about the, the NCAA tournament, though. Like your success, the NCAA tournament. You could, you could win the league by six games. You could go have a perfect record. No, and no, if you no. get knocked off trying to go to the Sweet 16, 
like a Wichita State did, for instance. Right. Yeah. Like it to just me, is what it is, though, isn't it? I mean, it, it, it is. Just, I mean, we don't have. Yeah. There's no other yeah. choice, and that's how everybody values it. I mean, yeah. Right. I mean, that's I, yeah. that's how fans see it. And I know we're on a podcast here, so we're just talking about it. But you know, you have to get into the world and figure it out instead of getting upset about it. And I think sometimes when we we discuss it and we talk about it, it's, it's not. There's nothing wrong with it. It's healthy. But you have to be able to, it's like the people when the shot clock started, you know, the people that got upset about it, you know, did you, now was that best for your program? I mean, just figure it out. I think Rick Pitino, once the three-point line came in, Indiana obviously used it to the best of their ability to win the national championships in 87 because they had one of the best three-point shooters in the country in Steve Alford. They had a good center. They had an athletic guard. They had good pieces in Daryl Thomas and some of the other guys they had, but it helped them, and now making those adjustments when the shot clock goes down, different things happen. Well, now you're in this world of you know what what what's best for you. Well, to me, I look at the conference tournament as when it lined up is we got a chance to play Michigan, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. That's who we'd have played. We get a chance to beat three NCAA tournament teams. We didn't. We only played one of them. But that's that's my sell to our guys. How can't that help us? Now, maybe it doesn't move us off our line. It's so hard when you get high and you get a high seed to move up and down off of it. It just is because that's your data. So people don't understand that. That's your data. You've played 34 games, okay? That's your data. It's like having a, a batting average, and right now and you're playing baseball, and you know, you're know you in late April, and the season just started, and you go three for four, and your batting average is around 270, and all of a sudden it's at 298. Right. And you're like, whoa, it jumped 28 points. You're like, well, you don't have enough at bats. Well, now when you go three for four in the early part of September and you're batting 298 and all of a sudden it's at 298 or 299, it just depends because that's your volume of at bats and now the needle's not going to move as much. So people will say that. You know, you cannot move a seed line and the needle moved. It just didn't move enough to get you off the seed line. It's hard, I think, sometimes for – coaches to kind of grasp that because they're like hey man we beat michigan minnesota and wisconsin and we felt like going into the tournament we're a four seed and we're still a four seed well you moved but you just didn't move enough to get off that line and you know they obviously do things differently with trying to get people in their regions and so a lot of things come into play but you know like cliz said it it, it is what it is another another highlight uh, of the season was individually um caleb swanigan being named first team all-american uh consensus honors so it was great for uh, for him individually, um, which will mean that we add a second banner to the, the Rafters and Mackey. Obviously, the Big Ten Championship banner will go up next year as well as his All-American banner. Um, I think everybody around here, we, we had Caleb on this uh, podcast earlier in the year. Uh, just such an impressive young man. It's always good when the hard work and everything pays off and he's able to get some accolades like that. So certainly a great season for him. Oh, unbelievable season. To be um, I was there at the Final Four and picked up his award, which was really heavy. Um, the Pete Newell Big Man of the Year was like, whoa. <laughs> Built know. for big men. Yeah, I said like, you know, in ninety three when I was fourth in the Big Ten in assist, like my award wasn't quite as heavy. Um, so I didn't I felt like I'd have a weight belt on. And uh, but no, it's just, you know, you you're happy for him. You know, he's so driven. Uh, he's probably the only guy ever in the history of, of basketball to, to to want awards, to to want his team to win, and then when it does happen, he just moves on to the next thing. Right. You know, they, there was a one of the workout guys in Chicago um, kind of talked about some of the people coming in to work out with his um, with his group about four or five years ago, and he says some of these guys are 
working towards the draft. Some of these guys are working towards playing the NBA, and some of these guys are walking around, you know, just trying to collect awards and, and, and finish kind of college or whatever. Because those guys that are, you know, trying to figure out, like, you know, where do I go next to pick up this award? Do I go to Phoenix? Do I go to L.A.? Do I go to all these places to get my awards? He goes, when in reality, they got to go take a grown man's job in the NBA. And uh, they don't realize that. Well, well, Biggie realizes that. He knows that's a tough task. He knows he's got his hands full. Well, he, he gets to work. And, you know, he doesn't go to any of those places and pick up awards. I mean, if I was 19 years old, you know, I'd been putting my awards on the billboard. I mean, I've been going to the mall and telling people. And here he is. And he doesn't go pick up his awards. He's just working out and getting better. And that's, to me, that's refreshing. And if I was at a, if I was an NBA guy, director of player personnel, or a GM or a decision maker, that would be encouraging to me. He's like, here, look at this guy who won all these awards. He doesn't go get any of them. Um, he just gets to work. He's just you know working on his game, getting stronger, trying to get not necessarily trying to get himself ready for the draft, but just make himself a better basketball player. And that that's pretty cool in my eyes. One of the other things uh, as we kind of look at since the season's concluded, um, spring there's always a lot of change around a basketball program and we've we've talked about this before spring is a lot of coaches dread springtime because your roster's a little bit in flux uh, a lot of guys this is the time of year when they put their name in the draft and a, and a lot of them to be frank are doing it to be able to go work out for NBA teams and get a gauge of what they need to work on where they might be at and not just this upcoming draft in June but maybe future drafts in future years and so this is always the time of year, too, where you're trying to add a player, and springtime is just no fun for coaches. Larry? Two things. Uh, one is it's very hard to explain to the average fan what this NBA workout thing is. Right. Because every place I go, it says, well, what are we going to do? We've lost our entire front line. Right. And they say, they're all gone. What are we going to do? No, not really. So, But you can't explain it because they really don't have an understanding yeah. of it. Right. The other thing was when I came in here this morning and walked into the building, I was I couldn't help but think we play 35, 38 games at most during the course of a season. And I was just thinking about the incredible amount of time these guys, Matt, his staff, you put in to one basketball season that really is less than 40 games. Think about that. That's 40 days. It's more than 40 days. But 40 days of 365 is devoted to games. The rest of it is devoted to trying to win those games. That's a lot of freaking time, is it not? Well, recruiting and all the stuff around a program, but that's kind of the, some of the stuff I was was getting to is this is the time of year, you know, like I, as, as a team, Coach, you're preparing for a roster that in, in all likelihood will not have Caleb Swanigan on it. Mm-hmm. Um but there's a little uncertainty with Isaac Haas and Vince Edwards. Um, just depends on you know some of the feedback they get. Uh, so talk about that balance about how you kind of are recruiting for now, but also with an you know an eye to the future too. Well, I think it's it's a difficult you know task. I think a lot of people are they want what's best for their players, and that's what we want. We want our guys to be able to explore this. That it's there for them to explore. Um, I, th- I thought that Biggie last year um, was the example for college basketball on what to do. Go in there, listen to what they're saying, and then do and, and make those improvements on what they're saying you need to make improvements on. He need, his body needed to be better. He couldn't play in the NBA last year. His body needs to be better. He can now. 
And that's the thing with him. Like when people say, are you going to tell him to come back? You're going to tell him to do it. I'm going to tell him to do what's best for him. Right. <laughs> and, and with all honesty, he doesn't need to ask me. You know, it's it's not even though I'm the head coach at Purdue and he played at Purdue, um, you know, he needs to ask them. You know, their opinion is, is so important. But, you know, he needed to improve his shooting. He did that. He needed to improve his decision-making. He did that. He needed to improve his defense. You know, he did that. So when you're checking boxes, a lot of guys don't check boxes. They, they get emotionally drunk and they get unrealistic about where they are. But the other two guys, you know, they have a great example right next to them who's their teammate, who's their friend, for a guy that went in there, listened to what they're saying, how can I make it? You know, what? where do you think I am? But what, what can I do to now come back and work to get myself in that position? Or if they say, you know what, we think you're a you know, mid to late first round guy, then, then it's your time. But if they don't say those things, you know, now um, it, it gets awful difficult. I, I, I don't think you need to explore those type of things without a college degree when you can come back and improve and then never have to go through something like that. That's the whole point. Why go through being overseas or being in the D-League if you have this option to improve to get yourself to that point to where you can get in the NBA and stay in the NBA. That's the whole thing. The thing is not about the draft. And the draft sometimes can be an ego trip. It's not about the draft. It's about getting in the NBA and staying in the NBA for 10 to 12 years. That, that That's the ultimate goal for these guys. And talk quickly about why generally the first round is considered the threshold i mean a lot of times you say well if i'm first round i'm going if i'm not then i'm coming back why is the first round so important well the first round gives you um guaranteed money and it gives you two years of guaranteed money that's all it guarantees the first pick of the draft the only thing he is guaranteed through his contract with the nba is that first two years now obviously the first pick's going to get you know years three and four picked up then after year four you're restricted um, to that team because they're trying to get guys to stay obviously more with their teams and, and free agents important but they don't want the whole NBA to be a free agent um, so there, there's something for each guy to, to be able to understand where they land but no matter where they land the most they get is two years of guaranteed money now right as you get into the second round I think last year had a lot of guys that got guaranteed money in the second round compared to the other years it might have been the most guaranteed money uh, that they gave out. If not, it was really close. So there's more people. And that's the thing with, with Biggie to me is I think whether he's in the first round or second round, I would think even if he gets in the second round, he does probably get guaranteed money. There's nothing ever that's guaranteed. But I like the way I look at it is I think he's ready to play in the NBA. Does he have a lot to learn? Well, sure. What rookie doesn't, whether you go out after two years or four years or you're 19 or you're 22. But I think he can play. Maybe not for a, a, a playoff team that has a set you know, rotation roster. But if you get him on a non-playoff team, you know, I think he finds his way um, into that rotation. And that's what we had with Carl. You know, I think Carl Landry is the best guy that we can talk about to say, you know, people don't realize this. Carl Landry got drafted first. His first pick of the second round did not play the first half of the season, was never active for the Houston Rockets. It's an unbelievable story. It's a very, very rare story. Yao Ming got hurt. He gets activated. He plays 40 games. 40 games, and he's second-team all-rookie. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievably. But I always felt like he was ready. I thought physically he was ready. I thought Carl could make um, an open 17-footer. I thought he understood the game. I just said, man, if he could just get a chance. Um, but he went to a pretty good team. So Yao Ming doesn't get hurt. He never gets into the fold. He played for Rick Adelman, who was a great coach. And uh, when he got that opportunity, he was ready. I think Biggie's like that. 
I think he's along the lines of being ready to play in his first year like a Carl Landry. But Yao Ming doesn't get hurt. You don't get that opportunity. And yeah. That's what people don't understand. Sometimes guys are ready, but they get drafted by people, and they're not ready to play them because they have people in those spots. Now, sometimes you do get drafted by people um, that, that you're going to have an opportunity to make the team. You're going to have an opportunity to make the rotation. Sometimes you got an opportunity to make the team, but you don't unless something happens or a trade or an injury. You know, you can't play right away. So there's a lot of dynamics that go into that. No, what's so confusing about the NBA is that you have so many players that have come out here in the last five years who are just all-world players that play with non-contenders, and those non-contenders don't ever get better. Right. I mean, right. you look at Wiggins at Minneapolis. Um, How many first-round picks can the can the 76ers get? Oh, and uh, in New Orleans, same thing. I mean, you have these guys that have been Sacramento. Look at Cousins, but I mean, you look at I mean, you look at some of these guys that put up a number like I saw Wiggins the other night had thirty eight, you know, forty five, and they're losing by eight or nine. And everybody thought when they got the new coach, who's a pretty good coach, that that would change. Really good coach. Yeah, it would change dramatically, and it hasn't. I mean, they're still right where they've been. And that's just the growth of a young team, and you know, and that's what you know general managers are like trying to piece it together. Yeah, but Philadelphia, Matt's been like us for eight years. I understand that, but that, that you have uh, a dynamic in Philadelphia with with the injuries and with all the guys that they, they've taken. Like Ben Simmons is their number one pick; he doesn't play this year. Um, they have to move Nerlens Noel because it's a log jam. You know, you could argue they took a lot of the same, but there's nothing wrong with taking a lot of the same to use a piece. Um, as trade bait to try to get what you need. You know, the Atlanta Braves did it, and we're very, very good at it as drafting and developing pitchers. And not all those pitchers pitch for the Atlanta Braves, but they would use that as trade bait to get, you know, skilled position guys to get, you know, to get hitting, to get fielding, and to get other spots. And so, you know, the Sixers have, have been able to, to develop some of those guys, but now it's at that point with Ben Simmons coming, with the, this draft coming, um, it's time, you know, Embiid, you know, got hurt at the end of the year again. He obviously proved that he's going to be really, really good if he can stay healthy. You know, you flip back to the <clears throat> the Timberwolves, you know, they, they have, you know, those pieces, you know, that they have um, the athlete from uh, UCLA. I'm, I'm losing my mind. It's won the dunk contest. Um, you know, you have Wiggins, you know, it's, but it's a guy they took, you know, four or five years ago, Ricky Rubio. They thought that would develop. And see, now it, it gets into sticky, sticky situations because they got to pay so much money now to hold some of those guys. And when you do, does it translate to winning? Does it, you know, does it get – and everybody's in that, in that dilemma now with the new TV money. So it's a really interesting thing as you form. And we didn't get – Carl Anthony Towns is just an absolute. It's going to be an absolute superstar in the league, but it's got to lead to winning. It's got to get there. I think they got the right coach, right general manager at Minnesota. Um, he's going to get that defensive mentality. He's going to get those guys. He had an unbelievable track record with the Bulls, um, but it's going to. It, it's just it's meshing it. And to me, it's it's good. We're sitting here talking about because we're just fans. We're just from the outside looking in. You know, we're some college guys talking about it. But you know, we do the same thing in college. Um, where you're trying to get the right pieces. That's the reason I really like our team and like where we are because I, I like the makeup um, of our guys. But trying to get back to that, win another Big Ten championship, get back in the Sweet 16 and do better, what can you do to, to help your cause? And that chemistry um, 
and, and, and just having the right guys is, is, is so important. And that's what those guys are trying to do too, acquire talent, but also acquire talent that plays well together. Well, you talk about the pieces fitting together. And one thing that kind of brings us back to our team is you just kind of referenced when as we won the Big Ten regular season title this year, I kept thinking about how good I felt for the guys in our locker room. Because as someone just told me today, I had one of our former players uh, called this morning and we were, were chatting a little bit. And he, he made the mention of the fact that this is the group that kind of got this thing back on track, this program. After a couple NCAA tournament misses, uh, these guys came in as freshmen and took us back to the tournament. And so to see it come full circle and for them to be able to win the league, that's a that's a little extra gratification, I know, for all of us that are around the program because they are good guys and you want to see good guys, good things happen to those kind of guys. Uh, it did this year, but I think at the same time they're not they're not, they're not resting by any stretch. I mean, right. they came back after the season was over and got right back to work on their own, right. getting back in the gym <laughs> to try to go for another one next year. No question, and it's you know for us it's getting those type of guys. You know, I think PJ Thompson um, has been tremendous for us. Dakota Mathias, um, what he's been able to do from a defensive standpoint, you know, forget the offense. He had a couple games this year offensively that was just he can do more of that. You know, and, that, and that's something. I talked about last night in the Golden Pizza Award when um, I went up to speak is is that we had more than five starters this year, and that's some, that's a big problem sometimes in college basketball right. for people. It's like you know I Vince Edwards didn't start some games, Isaac Haas didn't start some games, Carson Edwards didn't start some games, Ryan Klein didn't start some games. You know those guys are really good players, you know across the board. But that's the kind of sacrifice you have to make at times because we have more than five starters. But for what Dakota Mathias has been able to do, um, you know, defensively, you know, Ryan Klein, you know, sticking those two threes at Penn State. Everybody kind of had their moments. You know, Carson, you know, we all see, you know, that he could be a special player and he could be really, really good, um, you know, more than just a score. I think he can, he can do other things. He can distribute. He can defend him getting his feet wet really in major college basketball and learning some tough lessons along the way, but still playing 23 minutes and averaging 10 points and um, just trying to keep with that culture. And Vince Edwards is a guy that can just do so many things, um, so versatile. I think you saw, that's what I'd like to see from him is that build off of like where he was in the tournament, that become who he is. You know, that rebound he got in Milwaukee at the end of that Iowa State game, and we're reeling, man. You know, PJ's three was huge, but that rebound right there, that was a tough play. That that was a big-time college basketball play. That was impressive. I actually got people probably look at me like, you know, I, I don't have emotion. I, I got a fist pump on that one. I went back to the table. I didn't realize it. One of our former assistants said, hey, that got a fist pump out of you. I was just like, hey, man, that dude's a good player, man. But we like, like I want him to be that way all the time. Like They think I'm over there asleep with my eyes open at times, but – I'm actually thinking about the next play, um, but that was that was impressive. And like, you know, I don't want to, you know, kind of belabor the point here. But it, that to me is, as a coach, is like if we can get that from him, because that you know his his light was turned on. Not to say it's not turned on before, but he had that special a little brighter. Know, yeah, than like you know yeah. the way he was in the second half of Notre Dame. You're like, yeah, you know, and like I actually wanted to apologize to come up with our other players, but I simply said to him, I wasn't going to take him out. And that's what you want to get as a player. Like sometimes people around players, they don't get that. That's what you want as a player. You want that coach to say, 
hey, man, I got to apologize to you because I, I didn't get you much time, but I'm not taking that cat out right there. I'm keeping him in. So I think he can build off of that. Andy can use, if he comes back, he can use that experience of the NBA to say, this isn't who I'm going to be every now and then. This isn't who I'm going to be 50% of the time. Is This is who I'm going to be all the time. And to me, he took a huge step at the end of the year. He was pretty good. Yep. Uh, big offseason news uh, on the on the staff. Um, associate head coach Jack Owens was named the head coach at Miami of Ohio. Uh, he takes over that program. Um, he took uh, Kenny Lowe along with him. Uh, obviously, former player here was on our staff here as assistant video coordinator. So Kenneth will join uh, Coach Owens over in Oxford, Ohio, as an assistant coach. So I know. Uh, Back to you know the stuff that we do as a program in the spring. Not only is the roster in flux, in this case the staff was in flux a little bit. Um, you're always happy when your assistants move on, and we've had that happen quite a bit here. Uh, but then you got to get to work a little bit, and I right. know um, you were busy, uh, a little bit busier off or spring than normal, trying to fill the void with Coach Owens leaving. Well, obviously we're happy uh, for Jack. He did a lot for our program um, in nine years, and it's kind of a it's a neat thing to see come full circle when you recruit somebody and then you coach them and then you hire them at two different places and then they, they grow. He's who he is today is not who he was as an assistant coach 10 years ago. You know, he's really, really, you know, worked hard at it, whether that's just self-improvement stuff and going to Villa seven or going to seminars or, you know, just trying to improve himself as a person, as a coach, you know, he, he really put a lot of time into it. And um, by nature, he's quiet. And he doesn't talk like, you know, I, we used to, the guy I used to work for, Rick Samuels at Eastern Illinois, would, would say, you know, where are we with, with Jack Owens? You know, you know, how are we doing? I said, well, I, I, I feel okay about it. He goes, what do you mean you feel okay about it? He's, you know, he said, he's the guy we got to get. I'm like, well, he takes my calls. He just doesn't offer a whole lot on the other end of the phone. <laughs> he goes, what do you mean? I go, he doesn't talk. <laughs> and so, like, when he gets into coaching, you know, he was 24, 25 years old, and I'm at Southern Illinois as an assistant, and I'm trying to get Rick Samuels to hire him in Eastern Illinois. He says, Matt, this is the guy we talked about three, four years ago in recruiting that doesn't speak. How are we going to – how is he going to be a good coach? I'm like, oh, no, no, coach, he's come a long way. I go, you know, he, he's like E.F. Hutton, man. He didn't say a whole lot, but when he speaks, people listen. And I said, you know – and it was kind of like I joked about it. Like now we, we come full – we fast forward this a little bit to the day. It was like, you know, and John Wooden would say it about Bill Walton. You know, we couldn't get him to speak. Now we can't get him to shut up. Now that, like Jack is our Bill Walton. It's like, you know, now it's like, you know, he's at, you know, and the noon ball people are like going, Jesus, he's, he's playing again. Like, you know, he's, and then you get in a room and, you know, he's talking, but it's, it's great to see somebody um, make the improvements and get better and, and want to get better. Like a player. I mean, he was like a player. His assistant, he just grew and grew and grew and, um, he, wore, he ended up wearing a lot of hats for us and, and handled a lot of different things in our program, was great at recruiting, was great with guys. Um, I was always pushing him to stay on guys and to be that way, and so I think our guys got frustrated by that, but that's a, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. To, you've got to stay on top of 19- to 22-year-olds at all time, and Jack did a really good job with that and did a really good job of building relationships and recruiting and coaching, and he's going to do great. And obviously, you mentioned Ryan Smith going with him, and I think Ryan's just happy to get out of that classroom. I think anytime you get a guy that's as smart as he is, that's a good basketball mind, that had a dad for a, you know for a coach, and it's been a, you know now you go into the classroom or whatever. Now you want all basketball. You just do. You're in education, and education is important. But when you're a basketball guy, you're like, man, whoa! 
if I could just get to where I can just worry about basketball and our players. And so Ryan's really, I think he'll take off. I think he'll be a guy that'll be in college for a really, really long time. And then Kenny really paid his dues. Really, he was, he was great for our program, and there was just no place for him to move to. And um, he waited his turn. He was he was very, very loyal, um, watched a lot of film. And you see a lot of NBA head coaches now that start in that dark film room all by themselves, you know, working, you know, Eric Spolstra, you know, Frank Vogel. You know, those guys start as a low man on the totem pole, and then slowly but surely they move within that organization, and uh, they're at the top as a head coach. And I think Kenny – um, you know, we'll do a fabulous job. And then J.R. Reynolds, who was here with us on our support staff and worked a lot of different things for us and helped us, was at Eastern Illinois, which is his alma mater as an assistant. Jack took him with him there. So it's really good to see um, Jack get this opportunity and those guys to be able to join him. And here's a note to the fans that I watch, I observe on the outside looking in, and I know how you guys are so tied into these guys. So... You know, we may be traveling somewhere. They might be playing the same night or the night before, and all of you are saying, "Hey, how's how's so and so doing? How's so and so doing?" Oh, oh my goodness, they lost by one, and like you're ready to have a heart attack. And <laughs> Elliot is, but Matt's always talking about it too. But I mean, it's great to have those guys doing what they're doing, and you know, you guys being part of it. But you you live some. Uh, you die some death sometimes. Well, we do. You, Rooting for him, you know. I mean, we'll be on a bus, you know, going somewhere or on a plane or just landing or whatever the case might be, and we're everybody's on their phone looking at scores around the country. And as Cliz mentioned, you you look at what Zoe's doing at you know at Tennessee or Cal or, and now Missouri, what Coach Lusk is doing at Missouri State, what you know Coach Ray's doing at Southeast Missouri. We're looking at all those things, and and there's guys that we know. Um, you know, in our, from our basketball family that are now out in other programs, and you always root for them. I mean, I text those guys, you know, a lot. And we've heard, heard Coach Katie talk about it too. He's keeping tabs on all his former guys and, and that kind of thing. So um, we just have another program to follow now, for sure, when we're checking our phones on the road. So. We are now Miami of Ohio fans. Exactly. Yeah. Although I, 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 saw, I saw J.O. in red. On the, on the website, I thought, man, something looks a little right. off with that picture. But uh, yeah, he's got to he's got to do what he's got to do over there. So yeah, the Cleveland Indians have a new red hat they've had like for three years, and I still haven't bought one of those. Yeah, you're, well, you know, it's not allowed around the, around the office, the gym, or the team bus. Or yeah, plane. we we walked into the Golden Pete's last night, and uh, I walk and I see a majority of our guys congregating over on the side, and so I'm starting to walk in there. And the only thing I see mm-hmm. is my man PJ Thompson with a red sweater, and I'm like, Whoa. "Man, what, what what's up?" He, coach, I, I apologize, Coach. I apologize. <laughs> I had nothing else to wear. I, 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 he's just like he's like. I'm like, "Come on, man." Lucky you didn't play for Coach Katie. You would have oh. tore it off your back. Oh yeah. Oh. PJ doesn't turn it over, so he's cool. Yeah, with, he's he cool got with, a pass. He's cool with me. <laughs> yeah. He knows as long as he doesn't turn it over, me and him are fine. Mm-hmm. So fast forwarding, you you uh, we hired Steve Lutz, an assistant coach, to come aboard to replace Coach Owens. Um, talk a little bit about what uh, what he brings to the table. Yeah. Well, well, first and foremost, it's just the respect you know that I have for what they've been able to accomplish at Creighton. I think if you look at Creighton from the outside looking in, and I you know I don't watch Creighton very much. I watch him here and there, but I watch him enough to know. I know uh, Greg McDermott from being in the Missouri Valley, of him being at Northern Iowa. We played him when he was at Iowa State in a Las Vegas tournament, so we know how good of a coach he is, how good of a person he is. And so he's in a great program. 
But a lot of people from the outside looking in would have thought, and Cliz, you can weigh in on this because you pay attention to it, is, man, they'll really take a dive when Doug McDermott's done. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, right. to me, like, I think that was kind of a consensus without knowing. Like, I don't know that. But, like, like going, boy, Doug McDermott's carrying that program. And look how, how successful they've been since he's left. That's impressive to me. And when you, when you think of those things, obviously you have a great head coach, but you also are going to have some great assistants. Like, we are, we are not in this position without Jack Owens and what he was able to do in helping us land Caleb Swanigan. We're not. Don't, don't sit around and, like, I think, you know, Bill Walsh, and I've talked about it on the, on the air before, the disease of me. Like, Bill Walsh says, everybody goes, they gave me the nickname Genius as the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers. Do you think that's going to, like, affect your ego or affect goes in reality we got a lot of really good coaches on this staff we got to like and so i always talk about the value of bruce weber at purdue bruce weber should probably be in the hall of fame at purdue when he gets down to it you know it's like you know the impact that bob king made here you know he made a very similar impact as an assistant coach well you know jack was able to to get some really good guys here rayfield davis could probably be our number one culture guy you know he was able to get him aj hammond's was an elite shot blocker, a guy that could just change the game defensively and then became a really good offensive player. And then Caleb Swanigan's first-team All-American. So when you look at that kind of an impact and you you know, you know say, man, that, that's huge, well, Creighton's had a lot of you know success, and they've had a lot of guys that, you know, there's not a lot of players in Omaha, Nebraska. There's not a lot of players right, in Nebraska, right. period. And so they got to go a lot of different places and get guys and – and uh, they, they've done an excellent job. And his name just kept coming up with, with other people that I respect, whether on the college level or on the NBA level. Um, I try to break it down just in terms of, you know, your integrity, your ability to recruit, and your ability to coach. And uh, his name really separated from a lot of the other people I was considering. One other uh, note in the spring here, um, the spring signing day, most of the players um, sign their national letters of intent in the fall, but um, our final piece to this recruiting class, or at least till now, we that could change here over the next few weeks, but uh, Sasha Stefanovich signs his uh, official national letter of intent, so you're able to kind of comment on him publicly right. for the first time. But, uh, you know, now uh, a five-person class, uh, Matt Harms was with us uh, starting in late December, so he's kind of a little bit ahead of the game in a little bit of unusual circumstance, but he is joined by four other guys, Aaron Wheeler, Eden Ewing, No Gel Eastern, and then Sasha. Um, talk a, just a little bit about those guys, and just for the fans, a little bit of background. They will get here to campus uh, around the first, second week of June and basically jump in and be with our guys all summer working out, uh, living here on campus and taking summer classes. So it's it's right around the corner for the new additions right. for next year. Well, we're excited about Sasha. I think he's um, a guy along the lines of, you know, Ryan Smith, Dakota Mathias, um, Ryan Klein, you know, that, that guy that knows how to play, can really shoot the basketball, um, got a good frame, probably bigger um, than those guys, a little bit taller. Um, than those guys, but just a good basketball player, well coached in high school uh, by Clint Swan. So coming from a really good program that understands the game and um, values possessions, but he wanted to be here, and that was something where we liked him. In the fall, we didn't have one for him. We were in a scholarship crunch. We felt um, with the situation we had with guys going in the draft, we, we really had to kind of push towards getting more. Combo forwards and bigs outside of no gel. We thought no gel 
was the guy we targeted from day one that can really help us as that big point, but also a guy that can play like a one, two, three and have that versatility. So he, uh, Sasha is going to be great for us. Um, I think he fits um, how we play. Um, he fits in our program. But when you look at Aaron and you look at Eden, um, no gel, like the first thing as a group with those three people, and you can throw Matt in there, um, is what we don't have is that's length yeah. and athleticism. Yeah. You know, let's, let's try to get length and athleticism, but also not compromise what we're trying to get accomplished. You know, I, I think, you know, Eden gives us that athlete at that three, four types, you know, position. Um, and it's very, very long. Um, Aaron's the same way. Aaron gives us a more skill on the perimeter with his ability to shoot. He had a couple games late and some key games that were huge for Brewster. And um, Eden comes from, um, you know, a great junior college program. Mike Marcus is a very, very good coach and um, been very successful. So getting guys from good programs are really important. And then Nogel was, you know, his, his coach was great. Mike Ellis is a great coach, good guy. Um, but one of the things that jumped out about him was, like, Nogel understood, like, weak side defense. Nogel understands the defensive part of it. He's an unselfish guy. He's more of a passer at this point. Um, and he enjoys that. And so given us, and I like Nogel's combo to Carson. And I've, I've, I've talked about this. I don't know how much I've talked about it publicly. But I like the meshing of those two players um, because I think Carson can guard that quick point and then Nogel can play that position, <clears throat> but also versatile enough to where you can play multiple positions. So we're not pigeonholed there. But then it really helps, um, you know, then on the offensive end, as you got a guy who's wired to score, wired to shoot, and the other guy's wired to pass, but yet they're, they're, it's kind of like their heights are off. Right. It's like, you know, Carson would be the 6'6 wing scorer, and no gel would be the 5'11, you know, point who loves to pass and, you know, get other people involved, even though no gel can score, but that's just how he's wired. So they're like, they're, 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 their heights got mixed up, but they're, 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 the way they're wired, they're just perfect together. And now they've never played together besides probably pick up. When you know, like they've come on an unofficial visit, which obviously we can't watch, but they've and so to me that's just kind of when you're piecing a team together, that's kind of cool when you have guys like that. Then you throw like a Klein in there, and with his toughness and his understanding of how to play, and you're looking towards your future, um, and you're mixing guys in there. You got some skill like we talked about, but you got length, and then you got Matt in there who can shoot the basketball, but he can also play the 4-5 at 7-3 and switch on ball screens and move his feet, and I love his competitiveness. So I like the competitiveness of these guys. Um, I like their understanding. Um, I like their balance. I think it's going to be a real surprising class because I don't think it's quite getting the attention because I don't think people have really looked under the hood of these guys as much, and uh, I think they're going to be really successful at Purdue. Well, I think what people – our fans know our roster obviously really well, but you look at, for argument's sake, if if Swanigan's the only guy that we lose to the NBA this year and Spike was the only senior that played minutes, significant minutes last year, you lose basically two pieces off a Big Ten championship team, and yet you're adding five really good bodies, right. um, really good players, as you said. Um, it really sets up pretty well for next year uh, and for the future, but also – kind of puts a dilemma on your hands. I, I think this summer, though, has got to be pretty exciting just to kind of see how all these pieces mix together. Right. And, you know, you, you bring Jaquiel back into the fold right. after having to sit out. So, right. you know, you have another piece there. Um, I think they separated without me really talking about it. It's like, you know, at, at times you like you have your, your predetermined thoughts about 
here's what's going to happen. But you like them all. You know, if you didn't like them, you wouldn't have, you know, you wouldn't have signed them. You know, we like them all, but they're going to have to separate themselves because there's going to be room in there. Like, the, you know, you look at our, you know, the four seniors that we, you know, we have, um, you know, you look at Carson, you look at Ryan, you know, right there without Biggie coming back. You know, you they're, they're, that's right in my mind right there. There's six starters. And you got six starters returning. I don't care how you look at it. You know, Isaac Haas is a starter in my opinion. Whether he starts or he doesn't, he's a starter. You know, you, when you get into log jams on good teams, someone's going to have to come off the bench that's a pretty good player. And that happened with Ryan. It happened with Vance. It happened with Carson. And obviously it happened with Isaac. And I think, you know, if Isaac coming back, I don't see why Isaac couldn't be, you know, first or second all Big Ten. I, I really believe that. I don't see why Vince Edwards can't be first or second all Big Ten. You know, Dakota Mathias, you know, you know Carson Edwards. You know, you throw some names right there. Those guys all have the ability to be special players and to, you know, be first, second team, all-conference type guys. But we got to win. Right. You know, you got to win to do those things. You know, you can't get fifth in our league and expect three to four guys to be able to get those kind of accolades. And it's not about that, but it also – there's a little bit like that. It's like, you know, you want each guy to have ultimate success and, and, and reach their goals, but you got to reach them through your team. Well, one final note here before we wrap up uh, that – News came out uh, yesterday. You were named the chair of the USA Basketball Junior National Team. So, congrats mm-hmm. on that. I know you've been involved with USA Basketball for quite a while. Um, you know, quickly just talk about what that involves. Uh, you, basically, you head out to Colorado every June to help select some of these junior national teams, right. and uh, I think it's just a more of an involved role with that with that program. Well, it's a it's a great opportunity. I've really enjoyed it. Um, fortunate to be a part of it. You know, obviously being able to represent your country whether as a, a head coach in those games or an assistant coach or just on the you know the committee or you're a very very small piece of it but just to be around you know uh, mr colangelo and you know the guys that you know sean ford um all the guys that run you know usa basketball they're just you know great people and um, they're in it for the right reasons and just trying to get the, the our country's elite together and and really to have that bond and um it, it's really been a great experience um, you know, to be around, um, you know, like Coach Bayheim, who's, who's been the committee chair before, and all of his experiences, and, and just learn from other coaches that, that come out there and coach the team or a part of the committee. And very fortunate from Coach Katie and Coach Weber um, for them being able to, to get me involved with this because it's if it wasn't for those guys, I wouldn't be involved. So I'm very grateful to them, um, you know, for, for getting me involved with something like this. And it's fun to go out, it's fun to go out and watch. And every time I go out there, the worst player at the trials ends up being just a great college player and, and sometimes a pro. So you go out to the trials, you'd be like, man, that guy there, whew, he's not very good. He's struggled. God dang. Then all of a sudden, two years later, he's the 20th pick of the draft. <laughs> we went out one year, Malachi Richardson. It's a great story, and he was out there. And I don't – you know, he's from the East Coast. I didn't see him. I didn't know him. The only time I saw him, he's going to Syracuse, and he struggled. And Coach Bayheim says, man, he's pretty good. I go, man, coach, he's really struggling because I know he had, he had a tough couple days. I'm telling you, he's pretty good. Yeah, he took Syracuse to the Final Four as a true freshman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he's the 20th, out. Yeah, 20th pick of the draft. And so just so you get around some really special guys. You know, you see Markel Foltz or one of those guys at a real young age, and you're like, man, he's got to work on this. He's got to work on that. But, boy, is he special. And all of a sudden you see two years later and – you watch him and you see how explosive he is and how talented he is and just a really, really good player. So you see those guys at younger ages, and that's what they are, man. They they come in there at 15, 16, 17. They're kids. You look at them because they're so good in basketball, like, you know, they're mature in all areas. But, no, they're, they're just kids, and um, it's just a great um, 
you know, opportunity for me to, to be around some uh, elite coaches and elite players. Well, that'll uh, we'll uh, let you go with that, and appreciate you joining Cliz and I here to kind of wrap up uh, the 2016-17 season. Um, to the listeners, we plan on continuing this throughout the summer, so our uh, talent agent, Sheila Booker, is furiously working around the clock to line up guests uh, throughout the summer months. So Sheila? I thought it was... <laughs> Hey, uh, my apologies, there's, Sylvia. There's name changes. Sylvia, you're allowed to change your You know name what she's going to do? Extreme. She's going to walk in here, and when she listens to this, she's going to come in here and hit me over the side of the head. Hey, that, the that, great Sylvia Booker. Uh, my apologies, Sylvia. That goes you're down such a sweetheart. to Michael. Yeah, to Michael exactly. Maves. You're such a sweetheart. You did deserve that. But, that, she, but she is working around the clock to line up <laughs> the talent throughout the summer that we're going to have on the podcast. We have a long list of names we want to get to. Chucky. And, uh, it wasn't Michael. It was Chucky. Yeah, that was the, yeah they're referencing the when when Larry called the veteran sports announcer. the veteran sports announcer referenced Michael Mookie Mays, our equipment manager, referred to him as Charles Mays <laughs> on air <laughs> during a coach's show. And I think I started by saying my good friend Charles. My good friend. You might Charles have called Mays. him one of the best. One of the best. One of the such, best. Business, such a friend. Charles Mays. I botched his name. Now, now I would say that Sylvia and I probably aren't as close as you and and Charles Mays. But I don't know that. I don't know that, but I know you just put Well, her. I did. I'm going to owe Sylvia lunch oh, now. Oh, I thought she might have had a legal name change. No, oh, Sylvia, yeah. wherever you want to go, we'll we'll do lunch this week. So thank you for all your efforts. She, yes, she normally you. likes hunters. I've seen her in hunters a couple thank times. You. Thank yep, you. That's a popular spot with the staff and with the podcast crew here. So we'll, we'll, we'll put a bow on this mess. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We appreciate all the support with the podcast. Episode 19. And until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well.